Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Good morning, friends. Merry week of Christmas. Eric thought that was a funny phrase, but I was trying. Merry week of Christmas. You guys, the oldest living person, apparently whose age as has been verified. I was doing a Google search this week, and it was very much about who has been verified and who hasn't. I guess there's, you know, if you're going to set a record, they have to verify you. The oldest living person currently, right now, Kane Tanaka in Japan. She is age 118. Her birthday's on January 2nd, so she's very close to being 119. Now, she spent her life um, in Japan, and it says that she became a believer. She was a, ran a noodle shop with her husband for years, but she only has had this record just for a little bit because in November, there's a woman named Francisca Lola Susano in the Philippines who was 124 years old. She passed away on November 22nd, and it was in the midst of Guinness Book of World Records trying to verify her age. So I don't know if she ever got to hold the title officially in the book before she passed. And currently the oldest living male verified by Guinness is 112, Emilio, and he lives in Spain. Just think, think of all of the things that these people have seen. The wars that have been fought. The inventions that have been created. If you live to be 100 or more, you are a centenarian. If you live beyond 110 or more, as these friends have, they are super centenarians. I'm glad they get a very superhero kind of a name. Now, of course... Scientists have been trying to figure out what in the world makes some of these friends live this long. What is the superpower to their super centenarian lifestyle? A study released this January from 340 Dutch people over the age of 100 were studied for four full years. And they were surprised to see that many of them had the cognition, the development, of people who were 30 years younger than them. And in fact, 44 of them have since passed away and they have studied their brains. Well, several of them have passed away. 44 of them actually had Alzheimer's-like deterioration in their brains, but they did not show the cognitive disabilities that that disease can bring. So now they're trying to figure out why are they resilient or resistant to this disease? But they realize that people can live and function even though they have Alzheimer's. So this is a new branch of study. Scientists in Japan, they studied 160 people in their country who were centenarians. And they found there is a microbiome called secondary bile acid that they found in common of all of these centenarians. And they feel like that the fighting of bacteria is somehow could contribute to their long life. And finally, there are, did you know there's five blue zones 
identified around the world five towns where people in those towns seem to live the longest per capita. We've got Sardinia, Italy, the islands of Okinawa, Japan, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, Ikaria, Greece, and Loma Linda, California. And several people have finally put together all these interviews from people who live in these blue zones, and they're trying to figure out, what are you doing? Is there anything in common that we can all take into our own lives? There are three things that they are trying to say. They're saying, look, most of these people, well, they do kind of live isolated in mountainous regions where there's not a lot of in and out. So we have to put that factor in. But they do eat plant-based diets mostly. If they do have meat, there's very little red meat. But it says beans. Beans were the most important of all of those vegetables. And drinking tea and red wine. Now it says that they do walk every day. And they said, even if that's just natural movement and moving about, that they lived in communities where you would walk to greet your neighbor or the tasks that you would do on your day-to-day list involved moving about. They were not sedentary. I'm going to say that wrong. And finally, what I love, that last piece of the puzzle. They lived in community with one another, and they all felt a sense of purpose. So many centenarians living in these five regions talked about not being isolated, but you live within your community. You know your neighbors. And so many of them talked about their faith gave them purpose. Having people and having purpose in your life, that led to their longevity, they felt. Today, we're going to meet two older Jewish residents of Jerusalem, and we're going to see the purpose that they have had in their life that has kept them going. And we're going to see them interact with the baby Jesus. We are in segment two of our Journey of the Redeemed. It is crown of joy, song of praise. And we've been looking back on Jesus' birth and his childhood And two weeks ago, we talked about Mary, and we looked at her song of praise. Because when she was called by the angel Gabriel, given a purpose to live out for God by bearing the Son of God, she responded with a song. And we were all challenged that sometime this month, let's process our own lives in song, a song in our heart, sing to God or about God. Last week, we looked at the nativity, and we tried to go between our traditions versus what was reality at the manger. And we discovered that it really was a picture of sacrifice by Joseph, by Mary, by Jesus himself. And we were challenged to live in a life in such a way that we're willing to sacrifice for others. And today, we're going to see that Jesus' purpose continues to be vocalized prophesied about, spoken of, and we're going to meet two people who had been waiting for years to meet the Messiah. Burke is going to read for us today from the New Living Translation, and we're in Luke chapter 2. And Burke, if you could read for us verses 21 through 24. Thank you. Eight days when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. 
So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required of the law of the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. These are just a few short verses here, but there's a lot of Jewish history and the law. There's different regulations that's all wrapped up in why Mary and Joseph traveled to Jerusalem, to the temple to do these things. So let's dig in. First, we see that Jesus on the eighth day, he was given his name. Gabriel had already told Mary before he was ever in the womb, that his name would be Jesus. But that's when they would announce it during the circumcision. Genesis chapter 17 said that all Jewish males were to be circumcised to physically represent the covenant that the Jewish people had with Yahweh, the Lord God. God said, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is an everlasting covenant. And God said that your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day. Jesus is a Jewish male. He's circumcised here eight days after his birth. Next, there was talk about purification and the offering that Mary was supposed to present. This is because this is Mary's purification after childbirth. In Leviticus 12, we find that if a woman becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her menstrual period. On the eighth day, the boy must be circumcised, and after 33 days, she will be purified from the bleeding of childbirth. During this time of purification, she must not touch anything set apart as holy, and she must not enter the sanctuary until her time of purification is over. If she had a daughter, she had to wait longer. Now it said if a woman cannot afford a lamb, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. So there we've got some clues, right? So Mary and Joseph, are, they're carrying two birds, and so therefore we get a little bit of their financial situation here. At this time, at the temple, Mary had her purification sacrifice, and then Joseph would have been going about the ritual of redeeming Jesus because Jesus was the firstborn, and he was a male. And so we read this in Exodus 13. Dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites, and you must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. And you must buy back every firstborn son. So I love this too. There's an explanation for people like, in the future, your children may ask like, what's going on? I love this. In scripture, it's like, okay, in the future, you're going to kind of forget. Maybe you're like, why are we doing all of this? And here's a reminder that says, in the, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of slavery. Pharaoh refused to let us go, and the Lord killed the firstborn males throughout the land, and that is why we sacrifice the firstborn males to the Lord, except the firstborn sons are always bought back. This is a picture of redemption, and even though we think, well, Jesus was the son of God, he's still dedicated to God in this ceremony, in this time, this beautiful picture of redemption that God has been doing throughout 
history, throughout Israel's history, God has continually rescued them from oppression, from slavery. And Jesus was born to rescue us from sin. Now, dedicating the firstborn to God, buying back, Mary had to wait 30, 33 days, as we said. And then we know that Jesus is about a month old because in Numbers 18, it also says they redeem them back when they are a month old. And the redemption price, five pieces of silver. Jesus was the son of God. He was neither on sale, nor did he cost any more than any other baby. So picture this. We've got Mary, we've got Joseph, and there's one-month-old baby Jesus. And they head into the temple. You would go into the outer courts, and then from there, they would split up. Mary would go into the court of women, and Joseph would need to go to the court of Israel to do the buying back. We can imagine one or the other of them, who's holding Jesus? Not sure. Maybe Mary's got him in her arms and carrying pigeons at the same time. Or Joseph's holding him and got the money. And he's ready with those five pieces of silver. Either way, maybe they pass him back and forth because they're very proud parents. This is their firstborn son. This is a special son that maybe not everybody knows. But they do encounter two people on their way before they split up. And the first person we meet is Simeon. Burke, if you would read for us verses 25 through 32, please. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to, to present baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon's got several descriptors here. We see that he said that he won't die until he gets to see the Messiah. This was a gift given to him by God. Because Simeon is said to be righteous. He's devout. It says the Holy Spirit was upon him. These are kind of descriptive words that we've already read about in Luke so far. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both considered righteous. They became the parents of John the Baptist. And the Holy Spirit ended up being on, with Elizabeth, with John in the womb. The Spirit was upon Mary and Zechariah at John's birth. So we're seeing already in these first couple of chapters that the Holy Spirit is moving within people's lives, moving people to connect them together, making sure that all the pieces of God's plan are in motion. And when Simeon is described as righteous and devout, says he was faithfully worshiping God his whole life. And I feel like this reminds me later in Jesus's ministry, he's going to tell a parable and he, he kind of hints about God in the way that he's saying a master would look upon a wise choices of a servant and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know if you've heard that verse before, but when I think of Simeon, he's already reflecting this good and faithful servant. And you see his reward is that he gets to meet the Messiah. 
If you know people who have been faithful in their life choices, I hope you will spend time with them and gather their wisdom, just as Mary and Joseph are getting to be in the presence of Simeon here. Notice that it says Simeon spoke to the family as they entered the courts. So we are going to see and imagine that this was before the two divided up. And you can imagine that as they went about the tasks of their offerings, their dedication, that they, could, they were keeping Simeon's words ringing in their ears. This beautiful picture, these beautiful words about who Jesus was. But in all that light that Simeon describes, those aren't all his words. He mentioned some darkness as well. Burke, if you would keep reading for us, verses 33 to 35. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Jesus was the light to nations. He was going to be not only the Savior of Israel, but by Simeon's words, he was going to save all people. That is what God intended for him. But it was not going to come fully easy. It was not going to come with all brightness. There's darkness. There's suffering. It says Jesus would be opposed by some. The people's true hearts, the things inside of them, were going to be revealed because of Jesus. And we know, we watched. Not only was Jesus lifted up as an amazing rabbi and teacher, he was also pushed against by other leaders who would rather have that power and authority. Jesus was going to have dark days. And Simeon says a message to Mary. He doesn't say it to Joseph. And we imagine that this is predicting the sorrow Mary would feel when Jesus was on the cross. Because we do know that we don't hear of Joseph into Jesus' adulthood. And we assume that he has passed away and doesn't get to see Jesus' ministry, but doesn't also see him on the cross where Mary did. But we know that Mary stayed faithful to the church In the book of Acts, we see that she is a part of the very first church when Jesus had returned to heaven. So there's a lot of these things. They've had these great joys and this this sorrowful news hovering over them. But we're going to meet another person who was very excited to meet the baby Jesus. Verses 36 through 40, please. Anna, a prophet, was also in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married for only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was taking talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectedly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. 
There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was, was on him. So now we meet Anna, and she comes along, and we hear a little bit about her background. It says that she's from the tribe of Asher, so we're noting that she's not in a priestly line like Zechariah or Elizabeth. So she's spending time in the temple, not out of any obligation familially, because that's what's her choice, to live their day and night. Now, the thing about Anna that I tend to focus on as I look at this, this choice, she didn't get to choose the fact that seven years after being married, she suddenly had a new identity as widow. She didn't get to choose that she had pain or trauma or social anxiety. Remember, we talked about the way that widows would have been vulnerable in this culture. She didn't get to choose any of those things. But like Simeon, she chose how to live despite and through that trauma. And it makes me wonder, did she first, did she first go to the temple just as a way to, to just pour everything out to God in tears and in faith? And did she find comfort there and just ended up staying and staying and staying? But we read that Anna has another identity She didn't get to claim widow or choose that for herself, but it says she is a prophet. And I don't know if that was the identity given to her early on in life or if it happened after her years and years at the temple. But somehow now she speaks words on behalf of God. She has lived through pain and suffering. She has chosen to worship, pray fast in the Lord. And she now has a new identity. We're all going to have pain in our lives. And at times it feels like there's no way out. And there's no timeline. But somehow you're going to look and you're going to realize you're a little stronger than maybe you were the day before. And I hope that you, like Anna, will use that strength in order to give words to someone else. Because Anna was looking around and there was other people who were feeling burdens. Other people, it says, were wondering, will God ever redeem Jerusalem? And Anna, now she sees Jesus and she goes and spreads that joy to them. She's trying to relieve their burdens. And so she is a mouthpiece for the Lord. And just as Anna did, We are reminded and promised and challenged that when we have pain, we can use what we have learned to comfort others. Second Corinthians says, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. That's one of my favorite scriptures, and I I lean on that. I lean on it. So we're looking at this temple experience, meeting Simeon, meeting Anna, going through these rituals, and then hearing the Spirit move and speak words that Jesus would fulfill. I see three more things I want to highlight. Number one, just like the shepherds hearing from the angels last week, they were unexpected. A young, unknown woman bearing the Son of God. It's unexpected. 
Maybe Simeon and Anna being a piece of all of this. Maybe that wasn't quite expected. I don't know how the older people in the culture, if they were revered or seen as off to the side. But I know how our culture can sometimes treat people. And they were valued in God's sight. And whether expected or not, they were a piece of God's kingdom and his great plan. We get to read their words throughout history now. Number two, I like how the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright calls Simeon and Anna. He says they are devoted worshipers and prophets who are pictures of patient hope. Patient hope. They, they experienced years of wondering, what if? Why is God silent? Everyone was looking around wondering, when will we be rescued? When will we be redeemed? Carrying that burden on behalf of others. They felt some suffering. It's a kind of a somber picture. Yet they had patient hope. And we see that Jesus was going to grow up and carry the suffering as part of his redemption, he would have patient hope with them. And finally, I want us to note that the way Luke, the author of this book, has presented to us these beautiful prophecies, light and darkness, and in the chapters that follow, as we watch Jesus minister in his adulthood, we're going to watch, we're going to see, just as the first readers of Luke's book had seen, that everything said here will be fulfilled. So let's watch for it and let's wait. Now this unexpected plan and the unexpected people of Simeon and Anna, who we met today, they just give us a message that all of us were all invited into the kingdom. We can all have tasks on behalf of God, for God, representing God. And we can have that patient hope. We are given that purpose. Just as Simeon and Anna had purpose, right? We said that was one of those centenarian, long life things that they had purpose in life. And we see that here. But I think it's helpful to see other people live it out. Because we can read about all these things in our faith. And we can say like, yes, I'm supposed to persevere. And yes, God is going to be with me. But I don't see him. And that can be hard. It can be hard to relate to an invisible God. So when I see people like Simeon and Anna, I'm like, that's a, that's a person who lived and had faith in the invisible God, and look what happened for them. But you know what also is great? It's great when you and I can meet other people here in this lifetime, face-to-face, and we also see people who believe in an invisible God and have this amazing faith, this perseverance, this patient hope. And look. Look at the wisdom that they have. That's what I see this church being, our, what we're called to be as God's church. It's to find people who are faithful to learn from and to become the faithful people so that others can learn from us. On this journey, as we have been looking, how do we live as the redeemed people of God? We learn from wisdom and we pass it on. From Simeon, when I look at the way he interacted with Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus, I always look from the perspective of the family for some reason. And I see that they just, 
they took in Simeon's wisdom. They got to be in the presence of his longevity and wisdom. And if you have the opportunity this Christmas season to be around people who are older than you or have just lived life in the faith longer than you, I say spend time with them. Ask them questions. Listen to the stories. Take in their wisdom. Because you will find strength for your journey with Jesus in your pain and in your joys because you can see from their example how they lived. Now, when I look at Anna and her interaction with Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus, for some reason I always look at, I look at her perspective and I'm amazed that she can have gone through all that she's gone through and still be passing on wisdom, giving the gift of her experiences to comfort other people. And so I challenge you that if you, this holiday season, have the opportunity to be around younger people or younger in the faith, that you would have a conversation with them. That you would listen, find that common ground, and just, just bring up some encouragement to them because they need your wisdom. Now, sometimes we're sitting here thinking like, okay, great, number one, I don't know where to find people who are wise. Or number two, I don't feel very wise myself. Well, hey, that's no excuse. Guess what? This is for all of us. Simultaneously, we are all throughout our lives supposed to be learners and teachers. Jesus, we're going to read about here next week that he was 12 years old learning from the wisdom of the teachers of the law. Even though it says he had God's wisdom upon him, he was still learning. We also know that throughout his life, he taught others and shared that wisdom. The trick is, when you don't know someone to either learn from or be a role model to, it's because we got to just keep getting to know one another. That is what the church is all about. And I know people here in the Echo Church family And I know that so many of us have experienced something that maybe you are going through. And I want you to meet them and learn from what they learned, the pitfalls and the helpful steps. But in the same way, there's something you've probably experienced in your life that someone else here in this very church family might be dealing with right now. You've already learned, hey, here's what to do, here's what not to do. And so as we get to know one another and hear one another's stories, sharing our lives with each other, you're going to be able to speak into that and be a role model for other people. So I want us to make it our goal in the new year. I want you to think of and make at least one person have a one-on-one with someone that you want to learn from sometime in the new year. And I want you to set up a one-on-one with someone that you would like to care for and to be a role model for in the new year. This is it's a big challenge. It's a lot of different ages in this room, but I know we can do it, okay? Because guess what? Proverbs 27 tells us to live like Simeon and Anna and Jesus, and as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I have said this several times this year in text, where I've told someone... Thank you for sharpening me. There's just been some things lately, and this scripture always comes to mind where I was like, oh, they said something I needed to hear. I'm just like, hey, 
You sharpened me today. I needed it. We can sharpen one another. We can live in that community with purpose. Just like the centenarians, just like Simeon and Anna. We need to learn from wisdom and pass it on. That's our challenge for this holiday season and into the new year together. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for all the forms that your wisdom comes in. And sometimes it's from pretty unexpected places. And sometimes we gain wisdom from pain. And that's, that's not comfortable. And we know that your heart hurts with us. But help us to learn from everything. From the light and the darkness. And whatever we're carrying right now. The burdens or the joys. We thank you that we can do so in community of faith right here, God, that you put us together as brothers and sisters in Christ to live for you and with you. We journey together and we just thank you for the wisdom we can gain from one another and the wisdom we can pass on. We thank you, Lord, for coming to earth as a baby, for sacrificing your whole life, Jesus, for dying for us, for raising again because you wanted to rescue us. We lift you up now and forever. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.